Welcome to episode seven of What's That Sound? My name's Stu Watts. Today, my guest is Spike Leo, who is a hip-hop, R&B, and pop producer from Melbourne, Australia. Today, we talk about why musicality and sonics are so important in his productions, why the energy in a recording session is so important, as well as a really long discussion about marketing. So if you love marketing and want to find out more, make sure you listen to the whole episode. Let's get into it this episode of What's That Sound? You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. What's going on, everyone? Today, my guest is Spike Leo. Spike, thanks for joining us. What's up, what's up? (laughs) How are you today? I'm good, bro. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, For anyone that doesn't know who you are, can you give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do at the moment? Sure, man. Um, I consider myself a music producer, songwriter, do some uh, mix engineering, and I've got into the last probably six to 12 months uh, sound design, so sample making and stuff like that. Um, who am I? I'm just a normal bloke who, uh, who loves his family. Uh, I like having a sense of humor and taking life easy breezy cover girl. Uh, you know, things, things can get too serious and I like to think, uh, I like to keep things lighthearted. I love community and connection. Um, you know, interacting with other human beings is one of my passions um, and I just love music from, from a young age. I, I was a performer for like 10, 15 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to tour around, uh, doing that in my, my twenties. And yeah, I've just always been lucky enough to have really supportive parents to do what I want to do and what I love. And, you know, I'm just really grateful to be in this position uh, I don't, I don't take any of it for granted and I don't take for granted that people come to see me to get their records made. And, um, you know, it's been a grind and hustle and I can't wait to share some of that with you today, man. But yeah, absolutely. yeah that's basically, that's basically who I am. I'm, uh, no, no ego, no bullshit. Um, what you get is what you see, which is pretty cliche, but uh, you know, that's it. I just want to have fun in this life. I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. So I just make every day uh, the best, you know, do the best that I, I can do and be the best that I can be. All the cliches that you can think of, they're all the things <laughs> I want to say right now. No, but, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's me in a nutshell, man. What a com- I mean, that's a complicated question. Who are, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, didn't need to get, we didn't, don't need to get too deep on that one. But, yeah, I'm um, not sure how deep to go. No, 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 that's all good. Um, light and tell, tell us where it all started. Where did music come into play for you, man? Um... Well, I, I don't know. I just, from as young as I can remember, I used to take the pots and pans out of my mum's kitchen. I mean, how many people got that story? But, you know, I'm one of them. And I would just bang on them and I enjoyed it. And I had a really keen sense for rhythm when I was very young. And so in grade two, um, the music, you know, they used to have clapping competitions. And if you won the clapping competition in grade two, you get a poster. <laughs> and my teacher back in grade two was a dude called Sam Shorts. And he was this kind of, in my mind anyways, like this back to the future looking dude with crazy hair. He used to play the recorders out of both nostrils and we just thought he was the best. <laughs> um, and I think he just had so much fun with it. I just remember going to music class and having a ball and all I could think about is I just want to win a damn poster. And I was really good at rhythm. So I'd win a lot of the clapping competitions. And then the music teacher was mates with my old man. And he just said, you know, Spike's got a real keen sense of rhythm. Maybe consider getting him into drums. And I remember at the time I was like really into drums, but I was also really loved the look of the saxophone because it was gold and sexy looking. I don't, I don't know what it was in grade two that appealed to me, but I I was going to go between the two. And I got to hold a saxophone and I got asked like, what do you want to do? You want to do sax? I was like drums. So that mm-hmm. kind of started me on my journey mm-hmm. and I did lessons with this, uh, incredible Melbourne drama who does like all the musical circuits for the last 30, 40 years called Dean Cooper. 
and he just got me started into drums, man. So that's kind of where the journey began. Yeah, and then, um, you know, I remember seeing Hanson when I was really young. It was like this, that pop trio mm-hmm. who no one will talk of anymore. But oh, um, I just remember. Have you listened to their recent stuff just to cut you off there? I, the stuff I that they've released to. in the last like three or four years is actually unreal. Like they're so talented. Um, it's like yeah, blue, they were blues, talented then. bluesy pop rock. It's, it's beautiful. The sound as well. The mixing, All right. unreal. Check it out. It's, After it's, this it's session, good to I'm revisit. Gonna, I'm going to check it out. They got so some yeah, tunes. I was just like, I just remember them being young and me being like, oh, I think I want to do that. Like, look how young and cool they are and they're playing music. And, um, so that was like some handsome with some, what a weird, uh, <laughs> inspiration story story. They were some early inspiration for me, just seeing young kids do music professionally. Um, and, and yeah, I just... I just did it because it was fun. You know, I wasn't yeah. really thinking anything else at that time. Yeah, yeah. And so in moving into like your teenage years where obviously music plays a big part in all of our lives, what was what was your go-tos uh, listening-wise? Um, well, I was born in 84. So, you know, I grew up in the 90s and uh, I knew the 90s were cool in the nineties, but now in like 2023, the nineties are really cool. Cause there was just so much amazing, thriving music. You know, I was listening mm-hmm. to Tupac and Biggie and, and mm-hmm. even before that I was listening to like Rage Against the Machine and mm-hmm. Blur. I remember when I got introduced to Red Hot Chili Peppers, yep. um, and then just became a diehard fan. I was a huge Michael Jackson fan growing up. Yes. I mean, if I had the opportunity, he would have taken me to Neverland and, and who knows? <laughs> so maybe, maybe, was, you know, I would have done anything for Michael. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of MJ. So I grew up on yeah. that, but also at the same time, like dad was playing, um, one of the first things I played on drums was Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Yeah. My first performance was terrifying because I remember I had like a little boom box next to the drums and I couldn't hear it. And I knew mm-hmm. I was out of time and I stopped halfway through the performance. So that was my first <laughs> time on stage. It was not a great experience, but yeah, probably all those bands, it was a lot of rock, silver chair, um, freak. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I was like into heavy shit mm-hmm. because yeah. that was kind of the pop culture of my time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, absolutely. and I'm a hip hop head and I, I'm a diehard hip hop fan, but that came much later. I started mm-hmm. with all the rock and roll, grunge music. Mm-hmm. Um, and even it, you know, I was, I wasn't into heavy, heavy metal, but I did get into like a little bit of, uh, what was it? Um, uh, corn. Oh, yep. I was obsessed with corn. I actually mm-hmm. listened to corn like a few months ago with a client. I'm like, this still. Oh, yeah. Still hits. Follow the it's leader crazy. and issues of oh, both. Man, crazy. Fantastic so, albums. Yeah, all that stuff I grew up with. Um, and I don't know how it drifted off, but, you know, I was wearing baggy pants in the 90s that would, like, fall off my bum. Um, and I'm just glad that, you know, baggy pants aren't a tattoo because I think I've worn skinny jeans for 20 years now. <laughs> so I would have been in trouble if I was stuck with that fashion choice. But, yeah, my music started... Um, back then, man, it's, I, yep. I mean, it's been through so many things. Dad well, then, brought me yeah. up with like ha- how, um, and all that shit. How did, uh, how did the production and engineering and, um, you know, songwriting, uh, stuff, where did that come into play? Yeah. So this is, um, this is kind of unusual, but when I was younger, um, my dad had a computer. That's not the unusual bit, but the unusual bit was that I started playing with Acid Pro. Yep. Um, and, and, and Fruity Loops when I was really little. And I remember I did this, uh, remix and I was just playing. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did a remix of, um, Jam by Michael Jackson Mm -hmm. and Usher, You Make Me Wanna. Right. And, um, I remember like chopping those, basically sampling those songs. I had no idea at the time, chopping them up, sticking them together, transitioning from one into the other. Yep. And... I had no idea what I was doing, so I never saved it. You know, I think it's on a tape somewhere in the archives. I don't know, but I never really had it 
saved and obviously the computer died and crashed and that was the end of that. But yeah. I did start very, very young in music production mm-hmm. and then I never thought about it again. Mm-hmm. And I was heavily into performing arts, into like uh, acting and, and hip-hop dancing. I got into singing lessons and uh, I just wanted to be a performer on stage my, my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I actually did that um, around 17, 18 until 26, 27. And I was on stage around the world performing and I was always involved in music, but it wasn't till I was 26 years old. I'd been performing for like eight, nine years. Uh, it was incredible because that was my dream just to like tour the world, not pay for flights and accommodation. But Mm. funny enough, it actually got really tiring And I had some friends who were having a lot of success in songwriting in the music production world. And Mm -hmm. I just saw it and I was like, well, I reckon I could do that. So I (laughs) had enough, called my parents while I was on tour. I'm like, look, am I crazy because I'm living the dream, but I'm not happy anymore. Mm -hmm. And my parents said, you know, like, you're not crazy. Like make the decision. You're young, do whatever you want. And so I came back home with a small savings and I spoke to a good friend of mine called Gerard Sadu, who is one half of Strange Talk, a uh, mm-hmm. pop duo who did really well over the years and, and still thriving. And um, he helped me buy my first setup at A-Wave with mm-hmm. a dude down there called Kieran. And I spent about 5K on like just a Focusrite mm-hmm. Sapphire Pro 40. I borrowed someone's laptop um, headphones, some little focal forties speakers, Mm -hmm. like really, really tiny. And I think I was reading the secret at the time. So I like wrote a note to myself and stuck it on the fridge in six months. I'm going to make it. I I don't really, I don't really know if I understood what that means. Yeah. So, you know, ignorance is bliss. And here I am 10 years later, but I, I just, at that stage, I wanted to be an artist and I had no idea what I was doing. The first time I recorded my voice was just the most frightening moment of my life because, you know, when you record yourself that first time, you're like, is that what I sound like? Mm, yeah. Very disturbing. So, mm. yeah, that's where the journey started mm. and, um, yeah, and, and here I am now. And who are some of the um, kind of idols, producer and songwriting-wise, that you've looked to over the years? Yeah, I mean, from a very young age, uh, the radio was dominated by Pharrell and Timberland. You know, at one stage, I think it was like 55% of pop radio was just consumed by these two producers and they were gods for me. And, you know, I had a little Honda Civic 98 hatchback back in the day and I fitted it out with like double subs and speakers. <laughs> I was I was obs- always obsessed with sound and music. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and an exhaust on the back because I love the sound of the <laughs> and all that stupid shit you do yeah. when you're younger <laughs> that you don't bother about. But, you know, every time Timberland and Pharrell released a track, mm-hmm. wow, man, it just, it did something to me that music doesn't, I don't find it today with much production, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the beats and the sounds, you know, the sonics that those guys mm-hmm. use and their color palettes were just like from another planet. And Absolutely. that's why, you know, every producer hails to these guys because they were mm-hmm. so unique and different. Um, Missy Elliott, Justin Timberlake, Nelly Furtado. I mean, ev- yeah, every yeah. record that they touched you know, I'd bump signs or beautiful or mm-hmm. miscommunication by Timbo, all, all the stuff, man. Yeah. Um, yep. So I was, I started heavily getting into hip hop scene. I was a hip hop dancer. Um, that music just kind of moved me and did something to me. So they were like the main influences, mm-hmm. but also every Michael Jackson track, mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. um, all the stuff like James Brown. Like my dad brought me up on. 104.3 Gold FM, which is yeah, like yeah, yeah. old school radio. Now what's disturbing is when we listen to Gold FM now, it's yeah. like <laughs> music from the, the 90s. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't an old track, yeah. man, but it's old. So, um, yeah, they were the influences. And then as time went on, um, you know, it's like Mark Ronson and, mm-hmm. and all these other cats that are out there doing incredible stuff. Um, but I really love the versatile producers like, you know, yeah. Rick Rubin who do well, everything. What I was going to say is, and 
obviously tying that in with listening to your music is there's a sense of musicality there. There's obviously with all of those artists that you just mentioned and producers, they, uh, they showcase their musical abilities through, you know, old school techniques. I think, uh, apart from maybe Timberland, I feel like obviously he's, you know, he was groundbreaking. Pharrell was more, in my opinion, more musical and rooted in the seventies funk and soul and, and stuff like that. You know, obviously Timberland had elements of that, but he was chopping and, you know, cutting up beats and all and sampling yeah. and that sort of thing. But with all of those artists and the, and it shows through with your music as well is there's that focus on musicality and groove yeah, and, and vibe. Yeah. Well, you know, with my years of, of studying, it's like, if you want to, if you want to become great at what you do, you know, look at your idols, but look at, uh, look at the people that they studied from, you know? Mm. So I was like, where did Michael Jackson, where did he learn his stuff from? Where did Kanye learn, get his influences from? Mm -hmm. Who does Pharrell look up to? You know, you hear Pharrell talk about Marvin Gaye and all these old, Mm -hmm. old school guys. And you're looking at Quincy Jones and Mm -hmm. it's like, they're, they're the people that they've been influenced by. So they're the people that I also want to study and understand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Timberland, Timberland's brain is amazing. There's nothing (laughs) bad to say about this guy and the way he works is different to Pharrell for sure. And Timberland is not musically trained where Pharrell is like a jazz piano. He's, he's trained with music theory and, but they're both unique and different, but Timberland will make an incredible beat in the sonics and the way that it bounces. And then he'll get someone to, you know, put some, something melodic over it. Like if you listen to, um, genuine pony and stuff like that, you know, he made that beat, which, and, and Timberland's beats are almost melodic Mm. in a sense, you know, the way that they're structured, the sounds he uses, but Pharrell, you know, when you go back to like one of his hits fronting, Man, I remember watching that on MTV, <laughs> playing it millions of times, like listening to his falsetto tone. And at the end of the day, it's always like, you know, this word sonics and, and the way I think of music is like a color palette with a blank canvas and you choose different colors to get different flavors and mixing different colors to get different compositions. Mm-hmm. And so for me, Pharrell is like, he is he understands what he's doing. I think there's a lot of power in that. And there was a stage in my music production career where I was like, I feel like I'm cheating because I have a really good trained ear. I can hear things, Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. And I kind of, I, I was, I love Prince and I remember, you know, Prince's theory and musical abilities out of this world, but it's like, if you really want to be a great music producer, you don't need to be Beethoven or you don't necessarily need to be classical, classically trained. It helps, mm. but you need to have a basic understanding of music theory. You've mm-hmm. got to understand your scales. You've got to understand chord structure. Those things will elevate you as a music producer. They're going mm. to get you to another level that you could never mm-hmm. get to. You know, it's, there's all these beat makers who don't understand key signatures and sometimes you hear their tracks and that the 808's wrong and mm-hmm. it's like you need to learn the basics if you're serious about this and you know I figured I'm going to be doing this for the next 30 40 years this is it for me and and maybe that'll change but that's how I feel now mm-hmm. that I needed to get a a good grasp of music theory and I did go to a music school but I was never classically trained I was a drummer mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and dramas are not musicians. So it's, <laughs> it, that was quotation fingers there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, if I, I remember asking my friends who are classically trained, like, dude, how do you remember this shit? How, mm. how do you do the, and they're like, oh, well, there's like an acronym for this, you know, you can, you can do it this way. And so I just started putting in the work. And when I was coming up as a music producer, I was just trying to hustle to earn money. So I was Mm -hmm. teaching lessons. I was teaching Mm -hmm. vocal lessons, guitar lessons, piano Mm -hmm. lessons, um, music production lessons, like any, I was doing dance lessons, any lessons I could teach to earn a Mm -hmm. dollar creatively rather than working in a factory, Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. do it. And I wasn't an amazing pianist, but I could teach beginners and I had Mm -hmm. to learn all my scales and Mm -hmm. chords. So Mm -hmm. 
you know, it was through teaching that I had to excel and learn to make a dollar and well, it, it, yeah. it elevated and th- my production. I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. And what I tell artists that haven't, or pr- people that want to be producers and things like that, that are just coming up is when you're, when you don't have the understanding of the music theory, you're guessing. You are, at the end of the day, you're going, I feel like that's right and I feel like it feels good, but you don't actually know. And so there's only so far that you can keep guessing until you, you know, keep making mistakes. And so the the music theory side of things is obviously when you're first learning it, it's like there's lots of aha moments, there's lots of unpacking, there's lots of uncovering of things that you didn't know before, but then it's the practice. And like anything with practice, you start to gain muscle memory for lack of a better term, you know, it's all in your brain. Your brain's a muscle and the practice is where the uncovering becomes application and becomes second nature at the end of the day. So you don't have to think about it anymore and it's no longer guessing. And so like, yeah, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with what you say. Now, when it comes to your sessions, what I want to know, like what, percentage of it starts with you and how much of it starts with the artist? Uh, can you elaborate on that question a little yeah, bit? Absolutely. What, what do you so, mean? What percentage starts with me? Well, so say you're getting in, into a session with a, with a new artist or even someone that you've worked with before. Does a lot of it start with stuff that you've already, you know, uh, worked, worked on, or is it a collaborative thing? Uh, or is it something that the artist has brought to you? Um, I mean, I'm trying to think how to best answer that. It's, uh, it depends what the artist is coming for. Okay. I offer lots of different services. So, um, you know, if an artist is coming in just to do vocal production, then essentially I'm here as a vocal engineer. Mm-hmm. I'm here to assess, assist them, assist them to get the best, uh, vocal takes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they'll come in with an instrumental or a a, a pre-bought beat Mm -hmm. and then it's up to me to set up the session. At the end of the day, I'm in the service industry and for me, reputation is everything. Um, and, and giving the best service to clients is everything. That's what makes a business work. So Mm -hmm. firstly, I want to make sure clients are comfortable and that mm-hmm. the energy of the studio feels good, that it looks good, that it's clean. Um, you know, I have a little like mini bar fridge in the corner here with like mm-hmm. drinks and chocolates. If it's a night session, I have some some bottles of rum. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have like phone stands. I just want to make sure that the artist, because a lot of artists who come through, especially first time, they're nervous. They mm-hmm. have anxieties. Mm-hmm. They're vulnerable. We want to get the best performance from them. So Mm -hmm. it's really important that they feel completely comfortable with you as a human being. So Mm -hmm. the energy between us has to be right. If the energy is not right, I won't work with that person and vice versa. You know, if if it's not my style or genre, like I said, Mm -hmm. there's no ego here. I'm not trying to prove anything. Mm -hmm. I want to get the best results. So if it doesn't suit me, I'll be like, look, I don't think I'm the right producer for you. And more times than not, man, People, people send inquiries. They haven't listened to any of your work. They don't know who they're, you know, they'll hit up 10 studios because it's all about pricing. But mm. beyond pricing, it's about is that the best and the right person for what you're doing? Mm. You know, mm. th- it's great that someone can do every genre, but at the end of the day, like, what is that person most passionate about? What do mm-hmm. they excel in? Do you like what you hear? Because that's a result that you will get. Mm-hmm. Is it worth mm-hmm. paying another $200 because you're going to get higher quality, better results? Mm-hmm. So as a vocal end, I, I did a, uh, oh, pardon me. I did a, um, uh, a small course at Studio 301 with Simon, can't remember his last name, but he did a vocal uh a vocal course. And I just went there to study as a vocal engineer. Mm -hmm. And I learned many great things about efficiency, not letting the artist wait for you. Um, it's all about serving that person and making them feel comfortable at the end of the day, and Mm -hmm. obviously getting a great quality result. Mm -hmm. So that would be one service in terms of my songwriting. 
you know, that's 12 hours one-on-one collaboration with another artist. Mm -hmm. So that's heavily involved with the other person. And again, um, you know, I make sure we're the right fit, that we have a good energy, that I, uh, that I am vibing with the music and style that they want to produce because I I don't want to write something that I, I don't connect with. Yeah. And um, if and when that's the case, we get into the studio, we start writing. And what I say to artists is there's only one rule. And the one rule is if an artist chooses to work with me, that I need him to be a hundred percent honest. The only time I've ever had a problem is when an artist wasn't honest with me. And they said to me, you just look like you were having so much fun. I didn't want to interrupt. And I said, well, of course I'm having so much fun because this is what I love to do. Like, why would you want to hire me if I wasn't? But at the same time, there's no ego with me. Like, this is the right way. As you know, there's a thousand sounds that you can select. Mm. You know, you're selecting certain colors, but within that color scheme of whatever the genre or style is, there's there's hundreds of different bass sounds I could select. So I always Mm. just tell artists, if if you don't like something you hear, just tell me, we'll find something else. There's lots of synths, lots of VSTs. So um, whatever I do, I just like it to be open and honest. Um, and that's kind of the way I work, man, with, with everything, whether someone's hiring me as a vocal engineer, as a producer or a mix engineer, it's clear communication, understanding what their expectations are. Mm-hmm. Um, I always ask for references because someone might be like, I like this and I like that, but I really need to understand when they say that, it's the color red and, and can you show me what the color red is for you? Cause there's lots yeah. of different tones of red. Yeah. So it's always just like putting everything out, clear communication. Um, yep. and then we always get to the end with a happy result. Mm-hmm. So that being said, what is a, like, what is like the ideal session? What's a great session look like to you? I mean, I, I can't remember for a very long time having a bad session. <laughs> That's a cool uh, answer. Yeah. And I, I say that it's, it's not meant to be arrogant in any way. It's just that I always make sure before I start working that the communication is clear and open, mm-hmm. that they understand who I am as a, as a person and a producer to make sure we connect on a human level first. And then if I resonate with the, with the music, Um, and I feel that I can bring value to their expectations and what they want out of the song, Mm -hmm. then we work Mm -hmm. together. So it's a a great session is just at that stage, the artist rocking up, being open and honest and just having a good time. I love Mm. creating something from nothing. That for me is just super exciting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the 12 hours when the song's finished, 10 years in, I still sit there and I'm like, man, I... I don't even know how we got to this end result because, <laughs> you know, if you show me the end result or I ever, I hear a song, there's so many, so many intricacies to it. I'm always mesmerized by like, wow, when you went from nothing to this, that yeah. blows my mind. And even after I finish a production, I'm just like, wow, I, I never thought we would get to this. You just mm. have no idea where it's going to go, but it's taking those gradual steps and and I do have a very clear formula to how I songwrite. Right. Knowing that I'm I'm going to get to the end result mm-hmm. is just always mm-hmm. amazing once you get there. Well, I think when you when you're in a flow state, things just happen and yeah, there's techniques to the way that we go about things and that's purely from experience. We know what works and what doesn't, but yeah, yeah. you're right. Sometimes actually how you actually got the sounds is like, I couldn't tell you, <laughs> you know, like couldn't tell you how we got that guitar sound. Like couldn't tell you how you did that, but you know, it's just because yeah, you're right. You're having fun. You're enjoying yourself. The artist's enjoying yourself. You're not thinking too much. I think a lot of the time when thinking gets in the way, you can overanalyze things and you know, you just get stuck in the weeds and you know, it doesn't, it's not very productive. Um, totally. and so do you have those times where, where you're, where you're kind of like overanalyzing things and realize, like, how do you realize when you're stuck in the weeds? Yeah. I mean, look at this stage in the game, I really understand, um, understand my, I, I know who I am. I understand myself. I creatively, you know, I always have 
with my songwriting sessions, they're, they're, put into three hour intervals. So a 12 hour will be broken into four sessions because I feel like, um, you know, instead of doing like one 10 or 12 hour session mm. where the energy can fall off, fall off mm. all my three hour sessions are high intensity, full energy mm-hmm. instead of kind mm-hmm. of like starting and then through the day, you know, getting tired that there's no, mm. there's no, I don't allow the sessions to be tired. So mm-hmm. I always come with full creative energy, but you know, let's talk about when I first started, mm. there's a lot of experimentation. Experimentation mm. is the key. And like you said, repetition, doing it over and over. I did heaps and heaps of online courses. Mm. You can learn from the greatest people in the world. So all the answers are out there and then it comes down to, okay, I'm going to take that technique and experiment. What does this mean? It's such a huge and long process that it's all about the journey. So there's no stages now in my creative flow where I am going through the weeds. There are definitely moments where I'm like, okay, I'm lacking inspiration, but Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I can recognize that in myself and not fight against it. So Mm. For me, first and foremost, it's about physical and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. The music is not able to flow if I'm not in a great mental state or physical state. And of course, because I do it every day, there's days where I'm like, I don't feel like doing it, but because I'm doing so many different things in the studio, you know, on that day, it might be more admin work and, mm. um, and, and kind of stuff under the hood rather than musical or mm-hmm. sample making this day or mixing that day. So I'm always changing it up. I, I try to block my time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I do sometimes sit in the studio for 10, 12 hours without trying to go pee and eat, which is terrible. <laughs> I don't recommend that. But, they're, they're, you know, I, a healthy habit is like every three, four hours, go for a walk, get up, move about, change it up. So in my schedule, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna um, you know, go out and buy this piece of equipment today that, or a lead for the studio and get a coffee and some lunch. Mm-hmm. going to do some mixing. Today I have a client, three-hour mm-hmm. session, songwriting or vocal, and then I'm going to get up and make some content or, you know what I mean? So mm, I just yeah. keep it fresh. But I'll be honest, in the initial stages, there's so many struggles, man. Mm. Struggles about not earning enough money. Struggles mm-hmm. about maybe I'm going to have to get a full-time job. And, and the grind to this point of going full-time Bro, I did so many shit jobs to get to this position. You know, like people are going to walk in the studio and go, whoa. And <clears throat> I'm 10 years in, you know, like 10 years ago, I stood in my friend's studio and I looked around. And I'm like, damn, I want this. I, mm. I want what he's got. I, I just felt it. I was like, I, this turns me on more than anything. Mm. His studio. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. Yeah, Yeah, so um, I was saying... Yeah, like the the weeds at the beginning basically was like hustling and grinding to get to a point where I could make this full time. And I was having my first kid. I was stressed as hell. I never had a full-time job in my life. I've always been uh, creative. Mm. Um, And, you know, I I went and got my first full-time job, which lasted six months because I was so stressed, like, oh, I got to provide, I got to provide, you know, and and I got this job at a juvie prison in Melbourne and I was teaching, I was still doing music production. I was teaching music Mm. production to the inmates. So I was recording rapping and, um, you know, I I was grinding there for six months. And then I found Mm. out they have this great part-time position where I could work Friday, Saturday. I got bonus pay for working on a weekend. You get bonus pay because it's dangerous. And, um, you know, you get paid for Sunday as well, even though you're working two days a week. And I think I was earning like 200 bucks less. Mm. So I was like, well, that's a no brainer for Mm. me. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to take that job up and, you know, I can make up the extra $200 at my studio a week. If I only need to earn 200 bucks from Monday to Thursday in the studio and then work Friday, Saturday. So there are a lot of times through the last 10 years, you know, I, I had like, three, four months when I was doing promo back in the day, like, uh, mm. I was doing team leader stuff for promo agencies 
and I'd work seven days a week for like three months because I wasn't sure if the money was going to come back in. Yeah. And I was like, I'll just hustle. So during that full-time period, I was like working from eight till four and then 4.30 till 7.30, eight o'clock. And then I go home. I do that like six days a week. Wow. And I was just adamant about making it happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't see any other way. I'm like, I'm, mm-hmm. and there was a stage where I'm like, maybe I'm going to go into corporate. Maybe I'm going to go into real estate. My friend, cause you know, my, at that stage, man, my friends were talking about houses. They're talking mm-hmm. about the new car they bought. And mm-hmm. I just didn't have anything to talk about because, mm-hmm. you know, they all had like six figure jobs yeah. and I was scraping. I was yeah. like scraping by, you know, and, um, I've just always been lucky enough to like believe in myself and, and ride or die for what I love. And I was like, yeah. I love this. Yeah. And so, yep. yeah, I, I did, uh, six months full time. I went to like, uh, part time and then I was working Monday to Thursday in the studio, Friday, Saturday, building up the business. And I did that for another year and a half mm-hmm. until I was like emotionally couldn't take the jail anymore. Cause it can be a bit violent sometimes. And you're kind of like always on edge. Yeah. Um, and I never got injured or anything, thank God. But, mm. you know, it's you, you hear a lot of the stories about these kids coming through. Mm. Like, man, w- we're blessed. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're blessed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. at the end of the day, like, there's no human who doesn't go through shit. But some people aren't born with a chance, you know. And these mm. kids, uh, I went in there like, maybe I can help them. Maybe I can change them but they've gone through like 13, 14 years of trauma. You know, you ain't changing anyone in a year or six months. And for me, it got to the point when I was working there, it it was an incredible life experience because I was scared to do that job. And anytime I'm scared, I know it's the right way. But I... I learned that, you know, you, you might not be able to change these kids, but we might be able to change some perspective about mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was there as a vessel to help these kids escape mm-hmm. out of their minds from the years of trauma and, and just the power of music to be a hundred percent involved, uh, a vessel for them to express themselves. You know, it's like really, um, really therapeutic for them to be able to express themselves freely. So I'd hear a lot of their stories through them rapping Mm -hmm. stuff that, Mm -hmm. you know, other people would not hear. And, um, it was intense. It was intense. You know, like there is a stage that you become desensitized and you leave there and you like leave it at the door, but I'm a sensitive soul, like Mm. all of us creatives. And it really impacted me, especially when I had a son because there's, kids there. I'm like, these kids Mm -hmm. don't have a chance. I saw the families that come through and I was like, okay, I get it. This is where they come from. Like what chance do they have? And Mm -hmm. in these jails, it's a real community where Mm -hmm. they become friends. They feel safe. They get fed. Mm -hmm. They have rooms to sleep in. Um, they know everyone. So when they leave, a lot of them want to come back. That's Mm -hmm. where they're comfortable. Yeah. So, yep. you know, it, th- that was a great learning experience for me. I- I've had a lot of things happen in my life that have served me in a way uh, to give me a really good dose of perspective. So mm. I have a lot of gratitude. I don't complain much. My wife mm. might say otherwise, but it's, you know, for me, it's like I have a lot of gratitude to be where, I'm at, where I am. I don't take it for granted. I know there's a lot of other people out there, but there is a stage where you stop competing and you just, you, you do pave your own lane. And it's not about if, is someone going to take this away from me? It's not like that. There's so many great producers out in Melbourne and Australia mm. who I'm so fond of. And, and I always reach out to collab because I'm, I'm very, like I said, I, I love human connection and, and, mm. and learning from others. But I just feel like Melbourne has a lot to offer and we should really come together more. This has always been something I believed in. I, I had this event called Squad Sundays, which COVID, I, yeah, through COVID I yeah. didn't run. But it's like, for me, I want to I want to bring community together. We spend so many years as creatives being isolated in our rooms, learning our craft and being yeah. alone. We need to find moments as a community where we bring each other up and come together and make it easier because it's meant to be fun. But, you know, when money gets involved, we get serious mm. and we we lose some of, like, why we started in the first place. So, yep. 
yeah, that's kind of like where my heart's at. Well, you're speaking my language and that's obviously uh, part of the reason why I started this podcast is because I want to showcase the amazing talent that we have here in Melbourne and Australia um, and, you know, uh, share the stories of, you know, what, what people have to offer here. People, a lot of the times the artists that I work with, they just don't know who's out there. They don't know yeah. who to approach or how to get there. And that kind of ties me into the next question. And, it, and it's about marketing. It's about um, how you put yourself out there, but also with your squad Sunday, su squad Sundays and, and, and other things like that, that you do that are community based. How, how do you get the word out there? Yeah, this is, I love this topic, man. Um, so if I gas bag on, like I have been, just stop me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, when I first started, I got obsessed with Gary V. You mm -hmm. may have heard of him or may have not love if him. you're listening. <laughs> um, and you may love him or you may hate him. Yeah. It, you know, it's all irrelevant. This guy was like my marketing 101. I realized very quickly that if I want to have a chance in this industry, I need to be business savvy. Mm -hmm. And I need to think about branding and marketing. Most people, most people in the industry, artists and music producers alike, mm. even more so artists are not thinking about branding or marketing. Mm. They're not mm -hmm. thinking about pushing out content, um, on, on the daily and about quantity and quality. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're putting mm -hmm. out a song every three, four months, it's like, it's like telling, you know, so many artists put out a song and they're waiting to blow up and be famous. It's yeah. like getting a needle and throwing it in a haystack and telling all your friends, okay, go find it. Cause it's the nicest, it's a gold needle. It's worth $20,000, $20, the best needle you've ever, you know, if you, if you throw a hundred needles in a haystack, someone's probably going to find it. And yeah. there's many bands I didn't find out about until seven years later. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, wow, these guys are dope. So what's the problem there? And then the band breaks up. So it, it, the problem is marketing. Yeah. It's not that you guys are not good. It's not, you're not, it's not that you're not an, a, an awesome music producer. It's not that you're not an awesome artist. It's that you're not working hard enough to figure out how can I get it to the right ears? Who's my demographic? How do I get it out there? Mm -hmm. So, uh, when I started, you know, you start small. I was at the time on Gumtree. It was free to advertise. I was in my house with my studio. I took a picture of another studio and put it up there at just advertising because I didn't really have a picture of my studio yet, um, you know, which I'm not recommending doing, but that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just like Googled studio images studio. and I wrote a little ad, you know, it was, I think I was about two, three years in. I started getting my confidence. I was like, you know, I want to start trying to earn some, do some songwriting. I started formulating my songwriting uh, plan of how I like to songwrite. And yeah, it started there. And then slowly, slowly, you know, I started getting people coming through who are at my level and we negotiated a, a cash payment price. And I, you know, over six to 12 months, I started getting like a wad of cash in my jeans drawer, like under my jeans. I'm like, shit, I'm making cash here. So I started upgrading my studio because that's what we, we do. And, um, getting better equipment and, and I was like, okay, this is cool. I started putting some money into the Gumtree ads to make mm -hmm. sure that I was the top ad. Mm -hmm. So Gumtree, mm -hmm. Craigslist, probably over in the States or whatever, but yeah, it's like, it was a free site. And then I was like, okay, there's Facebook advertising. And I slowly started experimenting with that. Mm -hmm. And then I went ham on Facebook marketing. I went mm -hmm. crazy, you know, and I was getting lots of inquiries as I started getting more money, I was pumping it into marketing. I was on Airtasker getting my logo designed, branding. Mm -hmm. I started building a website. Um, that was a bit, quite a bit later in. Mm -hmm. And my website's like three, four years in the making. You know, it's like you never stop developing your website. Mm, yeah. Yep. Um, so it started from there, but I started getting obsessed with marketing and all that stuff. And I was getting a good dose of inquiries through Facebook at the time when it was affordable. It's not mm. affordable anymore. Um, 
but we can talk about TikTok and how affordable that is. Because if you remind me, I'll tell you about well, TikTok advertising. Well, this is the thing second. with the, uh, the mentioning Gary V. You know, he's, he always says it's not about the platform. There's always going to be new platforms. It's how you utilize uh-huh. them, and, and that's exactly what you're talking and about. And people there, don't so, like yeah. changing. Hey, they like no. to they get comfortable, and <laughs> yep. and and you got to change and move with the time. So it's like Gumtree and Facebook was good for me then. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've had a shift in what I want to do. So now I'm going hard on TikTok. I'm doing like three to five posts a day. Yep. I'm going to go back to Instagram. I've just like, if you see behind me, I've got like, no one's going to see because it's a podcast, but basically I, I got like a small setup. I'm going to do a YouTube channel and lighting and camera, blah, 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 blah. But content is key. Content is king. Yeah. You know, video, uh, whatever you can do, you just got to put it this out is, there. This is going out as video. <laughs> sure. No one's going to know who you are if you don't put yourself out there. And yeah. for a lot of people that can be very intimidating, mm-hmm. but everyone has something to offer. It doesn't matter what stage you're at. Even, you know, in the beginning stage, if you've been doing music production for six months, there's someone who's just started. So you have something to offer them. So at any stage in the game, you have something to teach and Mm -hmm. offer Mm -hmm. and wisdom from your personal life experience. It doesn't matter if you say, if someone's already said it, because you're going to say it different and people are going to connect with your energy. They might not connect with his or hers. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's all valid. You just got to get out there. But yeah, I went Mm -hmm. from Facebook marketing and, and, you know, when times were tough and I, I didn't have any money. I'd go through thousands of inquiries. I'd sit there for four hours, sometimes five hours. I'd hit up every single inquiry with like 50% special on lessons or songwriting. Um, And then the next day, maybe I get 10 replies out of thousands, you know, five hours of sitting there because I was like, I have to make it work. Mm-hmm. 10 replies out of 10 replies, I might make three sales and that three mm-hmm. sales would maybe get me through the month. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it was really ride or die. And, and I really hustled my ass off. And in the moments where you're feeling bad and things are not working, that is the moment that you need to break out of your shell and expand. And you need to find other ways that work because that way is obviously not working anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the next stage was there was a period where I was, uh, working for this dance coach and he, the advertisement was, he would train you up as a ballroom teacher. So I was teaching Latin dancing. Okay. I was a hip hop dancer, but he's like, I will teach you ballroom dancing, Latin and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I'll give you 10 students a week. I was like, sweet. Lisa's still creative. I've never wanted to be a ballroom teacher, but it was great because then I'd take my wife to Coco Coco Cabana (laughs) in Melbourne and I'd be like, I know salsa, let's go do salsa. (laughs) So I did that with him for six months and he was super business savvy, Mm -hmm. super This guy's got a a place in Turak. He'd have meetings every week and talk business strategies. He had scripts for his teachers to learn to be able to talk and do (laughs) sales. It was incredible. And, um, after six months, he wanted to sell the business and, uh, you know, I was arming and ahhing. I didn't really want the business, but I was like, he's got an amazing business. Mm. But anyway, I, I stopped after six months because I quit my, um, part-time job at the juvie prison. Mm-hmm. I went into the full-time music production after two years. I'm like, okay, now it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, many years later. Mm. And I, I called him up and I said, listen, I'd love to meet you, take you out for lunch or a drink. So I met him, uh, down the, down the road, took him to a cafe. I just picked his brain. I wrote like a list of questions. How do you invest your money? What do you do with the money? How much were you earning when you started? Like really personal. Mm. I just like asked him everything. How did you do marketing? How'd you do? So the next thing that he told me that changed the game for me, Mm -hmm. he's like, well, where do people search the most? I was like, I don't know, social media, this, the, the internet, Google. It's like Google. He's like, mm-hmm. that is the top search engine. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And he, and he's like, look, when we type ballroom dance center, mm-hmm. who's the first one that comes up? I'm like, okay, it's you. He's like, here's another keyword. Here's another. Now I knew mm-hmm. nothing about that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. SEO, search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing. And then I did research and I saw there's two options. One option is Google AdWords. Mm-hmm. where you pay every time someone clicks on your ad. You know, when you type in yeah, Google yeah. and there's ads and, um, you know, I used to just skip the ads cause I was like, they look, they look quite addy yeah. and I'd go down to the actual, ref- the actual ones underneath. But 
every time you click an ad, it costs them a dollar, maybe for that keyword or a, yep. a $2 or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other option is, um, is S- organic SEO work. Mm-hmm. Now that takes a few years. But I was like, well, if I'm going to be here for, and and I did research, uh, Google AdWords versus SEO. And if I'm going to be here for a few years, then I'm going to see which one's going to pay off better. In the long run, the organic SEO was the better option, but it means for the next one to two years, I'm not going to get shit from that. And I went with that one. You know, I found a company at the time that was affordable because back in the day, SEO was two to $3,000 a month. Now, a small, mm. a small business can't afford that. Mm. But I found this company that was charging me at the time, not anymore, but $500 a month. I'm like, mm. I can squeeze that out. I can manage that. Mm-hmm. And they taught me everything, man. They taught mm. me how to optimize my website, how to design it how to change um, different names and metadata and blah, 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 what SEO means, how I get there, backlinks, the whole thing. And I started I before- the, um, the important thing that I'm hearing is that every little thing matters. And, you know, I say it in regards to production. I say it in regards, in regards to songwriting, but it's absolutely the case in your marketing, in your setting up your website. Absolutely every little detail matters to- to the nth degree. And it's like when you take shortcuts and when you, you know, skip out on doing something cause you don't think it will improve. That's usually where the shortcomings happen. And it's like, what's the point in doing anything if you're going to half ass it and you'll get the, you know, the terrible results and search engine optimization is, is a, a great example of that. And you saying, you know, it's going to take you a lot longer. Most things in life that are worth doing are going to take you longer. And I think it's, it's, it's a really good point. Yeah. You got to play, you got to play the long game. Totally, man. Yeah. Especially as a creative, because we, obviously when it comes to money, we're like, we need money, but the, you know, the the long term is what matters. People aren't looking, you're not looking to do a one and done with, you know, most artists, you you just want to build that relationship. You want to keep them coming back. You want to have that long-term relationship because that's when things start to pay off in the long term. Yeah. So Um, think about, think about like, what is the dream, where you want to get to. And then the last thing is like, there's lots of different revenue streams within the industry you're in. Mm. There's teaching, there's vocals, there's mixing. There's so many ways for you to earn money. So mm. if you're, if essentially you decide, I just want to sell beats and make money from beats, great. But what else can you be do- doing in the meantime to earn a dollar until that picks up? And that's yeah. the way you got to think. And, and you got to d- diversify in terms of your marketing, try lots of different avenues, mm-hmm. um, and see what works and put a little bit of money and then put more. And if it's getting you, um, the return of investment, then go hard. That's mm-hmm. don't build the business first and the money will come. Don't go blow it all on equipment, you know, put, put a big percentage into marketing cause it's not going to grow if you don't water it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I want to, uh, I want to get nerdy and segue into what you were just saying, not to spend money on, but let's, let's talk go. gear. Let's yeah, talk I, gear I, to start I did off that with. As well. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk, let's talk hardware to start off yeah. with. What's, what are some of your pieces of hardware that you're loving at the moment? Uh, look, I had this rule in my studio that if I don't use it for six to 12 months, get rid of it and buy something you will use instead of mm-hmm. just hoarding. So I use everything in the studio. It's all like the best quality because I just wanted to make sure um, that, you know, if I have something in the studio, it's being used. It's not just sitting there to be pretty mm-hmm. because if mm-hmm. you have a piece of equipment that's $500 or a thousand bucks and you ain't using it, well, guess what? You can buy something that's $500 to a thousand bucks that you're going to use all the time. So um, don't, be a ho- don't be a hoarder. And uh <laughs> My favorite, I mean, they're all my favorite pieces. I, mm-hmm. I do use all of them. Um, what am I like favorite, favorite piece? I, I don't know. I mean, I have this 1970s box called a Roland, um, Gibson Maestro, which was used in like the Childish Gambino track. It's used by Jimi Hendrix. It's, you make crazy sounds on it. Check it out on YouTube. Cool. Before I bought any piece of equipment, I... I'm quite obsessive compulsive by nature. So I would spend hours and hours mm-hmm. either going into a store to play it or mm-hmm. if I couldn't, mm-hmm. 
just spending hours and hours on YouTube researching it to make sure that I'm investing the money wisely. And a lot of the antique, vintage antique, vintage equipment, I mean, it goes up in price. Mm. So it is an investment. Not that I'm ever going to sell this shit. And and if my kids go into this world, then they will, you know, they will (laughs) take it. Um, And if I die tomorrow and they don't want it, so there's a house deposit basically. (laughs) But it's, yeah, it's like I really cherish all the equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. Another piece of gear, uh, which was like, uh, you know, one that I didn't need but I've always wanted was my um, Nagra tape machine. I got cool. this stereo Nagra tape machine. I, I, I always wanted a real tape machine because, you know, I've used plugins for so many years. Mm-hmm. But to have a real tape machine like the first time and be like, oh, shit, I don't even know how, really how to use it because I've mm-hmm. only clicked plugins. Mm-hmm. And um, having that is a luxury. That's the oh, word yeah. I wanted to use for it. So I love that. Uh, I got the uh, Le Chapelle 992EG stereo preamp. It's this boutique company. Uh, which I really, really adore. I got this 70s Hawk HR45 Spring uh, Reverb, which is just like really sexy. Anything from the nice. 70s. Um, you know, you can see the tape machine hold up over over there. And there's yep. the Echo over here. We can and see it in use on your uh, TikToks as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all the gears lovely there's nothing that i don't like (laughs) (laughs) no that's beautiful you're more of a hardware man than a software man by the by the sounds of things i just love you know i always went through the debate of like hardware versus software what you don't (laughs) need it i went overseas and i had a laptop i had my push uh midi i was on machina for like eight years i've just moved Mm -hmm. to ableton and push i had my push uh midi i had an interface that's Mm -hmm. it you know i was in Mm -hmm. someone else's studio but Mm -hmm. Gear is a luxury and uh, it feels great. I'm like mm. a hands-on type of guy. I always excelled at anything that was practical in education. So mm-hmm. I love mm. being uh, hands-on with instruments and gear because it's nice. That's yeah. it. You don't need yeah. you don't need it though. I love it. And uh, let's talk software. What are some of your uh, go-tos in the plug-in world or even, even just Thor using Ableton? Why are you using Ableton? Let's start there. Uh, I started on, you know, I went from Acid Pro to Logic. I started on Logic for many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. I know Logic like the back of my hand. And I was also got into Machina by Native Instruments. Mm -hmm. And I was making beats there because it was, the workflow was fantastic. And at that stage, Logic didn't have any samplers or anything like that. Mm, Logic does now. Yeah. And so I used to bounce stuff out of Machina and then put it into Logic. It, you know, it took me a little bit more time to like create the whole composition in Machina, mm-hmm. then move to Logic and arrange and mix there. But then um, I was about to leave Logic for Luna, you know, Luna's mm-hmm. UAD, yeah, UAD, which isn't advanced to the stage I needed it to be, mm-hmm. but I was just needed something fresh and Logic was feeling old. And then Apple did the update where they got the sampler and the drum machine. So I stopped using Machina and I was stuck in Logic. And then I got this job for this video game company that I do on the weekly and all their templates and everything was in Ableton and it was getting Mm -hmm. a little bit tricky to run it Mm -hmm. through from Logic. So I was like, you know, when you're so many years in, you don't have as much time with your schedule and I really didn't want to learn something from scratch and all the attempts over the years of getting into Ableton because you need to know all the hotkeys to really move around fluidly was incredibly frustrating. Mm. So I just, I took the plunge. It took me like a month to get my bearings like Mm. properly and now I'm really deep diving into it and I, mm. I'm loving it. So I'm still jumping between sessions in Logic because mm. I have a lot of sessions and stuff there and Ableton, but the workflow between the Push 2, which was devi- uh, designed mm. for Ableton, yeah. Yeah. is next to none. There's nothing else like that, you know, and I was using Machina in Logic, which mm. kind of integrates, but, you know, Ableton's made for, for Push yeah. and vice versa yeah. and they integrate perfectly. There's no mm. other door really that's that advanced. And, and Machina just, you know, the arrangement was clunky. Mm. It, it wasn't great for kind of arranging and mixing. So Ableton mm. is pretty mm. good right now. Yeah, um, nice. In terms of like VSTs, 
Uh, I'm really enjoying Analog Labs, uh, Aturia stuff, Analog Labs, yep. um, Five Pigments is just this incredible synthesizer with incredible sound capabilities where you can drop samples in and digital sounds. Um, Beautiful. And, and the idea of like using something, dropping in something digital with something analog, with something real, you get crazy mm. textures. Um, there's a great free plugin called Dirty Filter by Bedroom Producers, I think, cool. which you need to download right now. It is incredible. It's got its own. It's on my to do list for today. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's basically filtering, but you just get these crazy crunchy tones. You play oh. with it, you'll love it. UAD oh, yeah. stuff is next mm-hmm. to none for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Soothed by Oak Sound for sibilance, incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few. There's a few different plugins, um, kind of tape machine plugins, which mm-hmm. I love. Oh, the God Particle, Jason Joshua, that's lit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, if you go, uh, baby audio tape spelt T A I P dope. Um, I mean the list for me goes on and on and on RC 20. I mean, everyone's using it now, but there's a lot of plugins like, uh, that kind of, you can get different sonics Mm. and sounds that are quite exciting. There's uh sound toys, all that stuff is lit. Great, yeah, a great, I mean, uh, great tape emulation slash degrader that um, I saw Stuart Labranda SB90 shout out the other day is Cymatics Origin. Is yeah. Unreal. Which one's it called? Cymatics Origin. Great plugin. Right. Sonically for like degrading the audio. Really cool. Really cool stuff. Okay. Uh, I believe. And it was free at the time that, that I downloaded it, but I don't oh, know damn. if it still is. One of my favorite, 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 favorite plugins is by a company called Pulsar. It's called Echo Rec, and it's basically a uh, it's a Echo, mm-hmm. but um, it's from the seventies that mm-hmm. Pink Floyd uses. It's like I think it's, um, it's like the Roland. I think it's off. Off, based off like a, a Benson T seven E or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. It's like old school. They're about like ten to fifteen k, not affordable. Cool. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's super beautiful and it sounds really analogy and unpredictable and vintage. Mm. It's beautiful cool. sound. Love it, man. Well, I mean, this has been amazing. Um, thank you for all that you've shared so far. Uh, I always like to finish off um, by, first of all, just asking if you have any final pieces of advice, pieces of advice for, first of all, producers, engineers, you've already shared so much, but any like final ones for, first of all, producers, engineers, and then artists. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, this applies for both. You know, I I can't remember where I read this, but we all start in the same spot. So, you know, the first spot is survival, just trying to get by, trying to make a dollar. Um, And that's where we all start. And that's okay to be there. You know, you don't need to stress about that. We all start there. No one gets into a position where everything's hunky-dory unless you get a hand-me-down, but that's unlikely for most. The next one for me is security. You know, you're trying to get security and make sure that you can build some money behind you, build mm-hmm. a full-time position in what you do. The next one is success. You know, how do we quantify success? What does success mean to you? I've had many successes in my life. Is there a point you're like, okay, I'm successful, I'll stop. No, there isn't. It always keeps going. So make sure you quantify what is success because once you reach that idea of success, life goes on. It's not mm-hmm. just about finding success. And that might be fame and fortune for you, or it might just be being self-sufficient through music or artistry, whatever it is. And after success, once you kind of like feel successful, whatever that means to you, comes significance. And that's like, what am I actually doing to make an impact? How am I helping people? How am I making a difference? You know, I have many times now where I'm thinking, um, what am I doing with my life? I love it but how am I actually helping people? Mm. And my, you know, my idea around that is like, if I can elevate myself beyond the moon, then the people who deserve it and who are working hard, I can take them with me, you know, and, and I really love helping people, making other people money, helping other people succeed. That's very important for me. And that's the way that I can give back and help 
by either mentoring or just, you know, getting cash in other people's pockets as well. Mm. So that's kind of like my final thoughts as a music producer and as an artist, it's the same. Mm. If you want to succeed, there's three things you need. One is talent. Okay. And if you don't have talent, you can still get it. You need hard work and perseverance and you need marketing, branding and, and money behind you to push those things out there. You've got to get to people's ears. If you want to be a service or a business, people got to hear about you. Mm. How are you going to do that? And like, um, like you said, man, there's many different avenues. Word of mouth takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's SEO, there's marketing on TikTok. Mm. Uh, super cheap right now. I paid a hundred bucks and got 20 K views. That's ridiculous. Mm. You guys got to really go hard on that right now mm. before it becomes unaffordable. Mm. But yeah, if you have those three, and and I can tell you right now that most artists and producers don't mm. have the three, they might have two or one, you know, like talent and branding, but not the perseverance and consistency, mm-hmm. or they might have the money and the perseverance, but not the talent. You've seen many of people like that mm-hmm. um, blown up mm-hmm. and uh, you really want to work on all those three. You know, repetition is key on the days you feel like shit, just get in there and, and do something that maybe isn't writing lyrics mm-hmm. or, you know, admin, just keep pushing forward and taking step by step. That's, that's my, my last thoughts. Love it. Well, thanks again so much, Spike. Um, really, really appreciate it. It's been super valuable, all the stuff that you've shared. Um, thanks so for thank me, you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, where can people find you online? Well, I mean, I'm ev- everywhere that you can find people online. So <laughs> all, all the social platforms, um, you know, just type Spike Leo or Spike Leo Music. I'm on IG, TikTok, Facebook, all that stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'm a bit more aggressive with it. Other times I've taken like a two, three year hiatus just to like make music. But um, you're going to be seeing my face pop up a little bit more now. Nice one, man. Well, thanks again. Thanks to everyone that's uh, listening or watching. Um, thank you for taking the time. As always, share follow, subscribe, all the fun stuff that you always hear on these uh, social networks, but it really does make a difference. We want to get this out to as many people as possible and that just helps every little bit helps. So thank you once again and we'll see you next time on What's That Sound podcast. Dope bro, thank you, God bless. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.